0: I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 18 this morning is where we'll spend our time in God's Word and as we do that we're going to continue on in our series called The Characters of Christmas. Now all of us know that Jesus Christ is the focus of Christmas, the spotlight is on him But we've said over the last number of weeks, there's other people who are part of the story. There's other characters that play their part. And as we've walked through the text, as we've looked at the Christmas story, we've asked that question. Okay, how does this impact the way that I live? So in light of the way these people responded to Jesus, how should I respond in this Christmas season as well. I want to have a little fun this morning as we get ready to dive into the text. So I'm going to press you just a bit, but I need you to be honest this morning, okay? Everybody looking? We're in church, right? Got to be honest. So here's the question. How many of you have ever been in a situation where something was going on that you should have known about that was right under your nose, but you had absolutely no clue? Completely missed it? No idea what was going on. Okay. Now let me press on you a little bit more, okay? Let me ask you this question. How many of you would fall into the camp that you don't want to be surprised during the Christmas season with the gifts that you're going to get, whether you're a child or a teenager or even an adult? And so for you, you took the weeks leading up to Christmas Day as an opportunity to search for the presents you were going to get. Mom and Dad's closet, anybody? Try to figure it out. Some of you are like, I can't raise my hand. They'll see me, right? So here's the thing. I was not one of those kids. I would not in the least bit decide that I was going to try and figure out where my presents were to the point that my parents knew it so well that they actually one year hid my Christmas present under my bed. So Christmas morning, I rip open the present and I open the box and in the box it says, go look under your bed. I ran in there and my present was under my bed and I looked at my parents a little bit puzzled and I said, when did that get put there? My mom's like, it's been there for three months. (laughs) But for us this morning, as we look at the text... We're going to encounter some characters this morning, one by the name of Herod, who is called the king of the Jews, and something happens right under his nose. He should have known that this was going to take place, or at least had some inkling that this was going on, but he has absolutely no clue until some wise men show up on the scene and make an announcement that they are here to find the king of the Jews who's just been born. And we're going to see this morning, as we walk through the text, how these characters respond very differently to Jesus Christ, the King. I want to read the text for us, and then as we do every single week, we'll walk back through it together, ask the Lord to speak to us through his word, and we have the promise that he will. This is what God's word records, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. "...and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under." according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the characters of Christmas. Week one, we focused in on Zechariah and Elizabeth and John, who we said were preparing the way for Jesus to come and change lives. And we said for ourselves that the question is before us, will we do the same thing? Will we prepare the way for people to meet Jesus? And then last week, we looked at Joseph and Mary, and we saw the angel come and say to them, prepare your hearts for Jesus to come and to dwell with you, to change lives through your sacrifice, raising him as your son. And we asked the question of ourselves, are we preparing our hearts for Jesus to change us so that he can use us to change others for his glory. And this morning, the question is before us, how will we respond to Jesus as king? How will we respond to Jesus as king? If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that'll frame our time together as we walk back through Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. We have the opportunity every single day, every single day, we have the opportunity to respond to the reality that Jesus is King. Every single one of us and every single person on the planet has the opportunity every single day to respond to the reality that Jesus Christ is king. The question is, how will we respond? How will we respond to the reality that Jesus Christ is king? And in the text this morning, what I want you to notice and take note of is that we see two responses we see the response of the wise men, and we see the response of Herod, both of them to Jesus as king. And as we take note this morning of the first part of chapter 2, we're going to focus in on the wise men and their response to Jesus as king. And as we do that, I want you to notice that they submitted to Jesus' rule and his reign. Let's look at the text, verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born. So leading up to this sermon, we have been looking at things going on prior to Jesus' birth. John, Elizabeth, Zechariah, prior to Jesus' birth. Joseph and Mary, prior to Jesus' birth. But we see this morning in the text, we're looking at after Jesus was born. And best estimates, as we'll see in the text this morning, we're looking at somewhere close to two years after Jesus has been born. And so as we read through the text, I want you to keep that in mind that that's kind of the timeline that we're looking at that this story takes place, but it is still part of the Christmas story. It's still part of Jesus coming to this earth as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, the response that we see here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Pause for just a second. Who is Herod? We're going to find out a little bit more about him later on, but just for fun, Herod is the Grinch of the story. Herod's not a nice guy. Herod is not a good guy. In fact, Herod is a terrible ruler, a terrible king, and he's incredibly paranoid. He is constantly looking behind his back as he's ruling over the Jews in this region, and he is trying to do everything he can to keep himself in power. He doesn't want anyone else to rule, so much so that he even murders four of his sons so that they can't take over the kingdom. He murders a wife in the midst as well, so he is not a nice guy. You say he's a grinch. It's a little more graphic than that. He is doing everything he can to maintain power through threat, through cunning, through bribes. He's doing all of that. That is the Herod that we're talking about here. But the text says, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews. These wise men who came from the east, they were no doubt a delegation that were coming on behalf of some other ruler. They were familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures. They are coming. Their question as they head into Herod's palace is where is the king of the Jews who's just been born? Do you see the problem? Herod... Is the king of the Jews? Their question, where is the king of the Jews who's just been born? You imagine Herod's thoughts here. What do you mean? I'm the king of the Jews. Do you know who I am? Do you know what my role is? This is my palace that you are standing in. How dare you come in and ask, where is the king of the Jews who's just been born? Because here I am. Got to know in this moment that Herod's wheels in his mind begin turning. And so Herod continues listening, and this is what they say. We saw his star, that is the king of the jews who's just been born we saw his star when it rose and have come notice this to worship him the desire of these wise men coming to seek the king of the jews who's just been born is to worship him now think again what must herod be thinking Well, if there's any king who deserves to be worshipped as king of the Jews, it's not some baby, it's me. But at this point in time, Herod doesn't show his cards. Notice in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. I don't know if you've heard the phrase, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Herod was troubled. And it said everyone else as a result of Herod being troubled was troubled. And so he assembles verse four, all the chief priests, the scribes of the people. And he asked them this question where is the Christ to be born? So Herod is familiar enough with the Old Testament scriptures to know who to call when he doesn't know what's going on, religiously speaking, in the context of the Jewish people. And he calls the scribes together and he says to them, hey, these wise men have come from the east and they say the Messiah, the king of the Jews, has been born and we need to figure out what's going on with this. I need you to search the Scriptures. I need you to find out and bring me information so that I can use it for my own benefit to work through this situation. And notice they say in verse 5, they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. They look back into the Old Testament prophets and they say, oh, well, we have the answer. We know that the Messiah, the King, the promised one is supposed to come to Bethlehem. That's where he's going to be born. Verse 7, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Remember, that was their story. They were likely very familiar with astrology. They understood, would look at the stars. They were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures because they knew that a Messiah was supposed to come. They understood a lot of what was going on and they were seeking God as they showed up on the scene here. So he asks them, hey, when did this star appear that set you guys out on the journey? And they said to them, it's about two years. We've been on this journey searching. He sent them to Bethlehem in verse 8 and said, go, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, listen, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, here's what we know. We're going to find out in just a little bit. Herod had absolutely zero intention of worshiping Jesus as king. He had no desire whatsoever, but he was planning how to respond to this. So he says to the wise men, "Hey, you, you guys go find it. Go find the king of the Jews who's been born. But when you do find him, come back." And let me know where he is. And I'll come worship him too. So we see here at this point in time, in verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Listen to verse 11. And going into the house... They saw the child. They see Jesus in the house with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. These wise men have been on a journey searching for the king of the Jews, searching for the Messiah in an effort to worship him. And that's exactly what they do when they find him. In fact, we see here them submitting to Jesus' rule and his reign, and they do that first by worshiping Jesus as king. Notice these are prominent men. These are wealthy men who've been sent by likely another king to find who this king of the Jews is, and they come onto the scene, they see Jesus, and they hit their knees, and they worship him. I want to say to you this morning that for us, as we think about how we are going to respond to the reality that Jesus Christ is king, if we are willing to submit to his rule and his reign, it begins first on our knees in worship before him. You may have come in this morning, and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, honoring Him as King and Lord of your life. I want you to notice that the response that these wise men demonstrate is the response that we all should demonstrate before Jesus as King. For us, as we gather here this morning, we gather for one reason, and that is we believe that Jesus Christ, this baby born in Bethlehem in a manger, is not some normal baby. He is the king of the universe, and he is to be worshipped. And he offers to you and he offers to me salvation through his life, his death, and his resurrection The greatest Christmas gift that has ever been given is Jesus Christ and salvation through him. I want you to notice that these wise men understand who Jesus is and they worship him. Not only that, I want you to notice it follows up at the second part of verse 11. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So imagine this, if you will, that they are gathered around Jesus and they're gathered around Mary and they have hit their knees and they have begun worshiping Jesus as King. And in this moment, they reach in and they grab these gifts that they have prepared to give to Jesus as King. And these gifts are representative of Jesus's kingship, of the fact that he is Lord. And in this moment, they offer first gold to him. A king is deserving of the greatest precious metal on this planet, gold, and they bring gold and they offer it to Jesus in worship of him as king. Not only do they offer gold to him, but they also offer frankincense to him. That would have been something that was utilized oftentimes in worship to a divine being, they would have used frankincense to burn in the temple. And it was something that signified that this person is deserving of worship. They offer to Jesus frankincense and then they offer to him myrrh. It was a mixture of oil and spices that would have been used in the burying process And so not only are they looking at Jesus that he is king, but they are looking at Jesus as this king will lay his life down. He will make it possible for salvation to be had through him, and they bring this gift as well. But I want you to notice not only did they bring these gifts, but notice verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Not only do they bring Jesus' gifts, but they also leverage this opportunity for Jesus' kingdom to continue to flourish on this earth. I want you to think about that with me this morning. If we are willing to submit to Jesus and his rule and his reign, we are willing to submit to him as king, it will begin in worship, but it won't end there. It will also include utilizing everything that we have to further his kingdom. I want you to think about that in relation to your life. How can you and how can I utilize everything we have to further his kingdom? What does it look like for us to utilize our money to further God's kingdom? What does it look like for us to utilize our time to further God's kingdom? What does it look like for us to utilize our resources to further God's kingdom, our gifts to further God's kingdom, our relationships to further God's kingdom? See, the reality is, if we're willing to submit to Jesus as king, it will begin on our knees in worship to him, but it won't stop there. It will include every aspect of our lives being turned over to him and saying, how can I leverage what I have and who I am to further your kingdom? You know, one of the great opportunities that you and I have as followers of Jesus the scripture tells us is laying up treasures for ourselves not on the earth but treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy where thieves don't break in and steal for us we utilize all that we have and all that we are to lay up treasures to make an impact for Jesus and his kingdom to worship him as king and to offer our lives as an act of sacrifice in obedience to him. We see that here with the wise men. We see these characters play that part. You know, it'd be great if we could just stop there and go, let's all do that and go home, right? But I want you to take notice that the story doesn't stop there. In fact, we see that the wise men submit to Jesus' rule and his reign, but as we continue on in the text, we're going to see that Herod is scheming against Jesus' rule and his reign. And those are the two options. We either submit to Jesus' rule and reign, or we scheme against Jesus' rule and his reign. Verse 13, when they had departed, that's the wise men, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. Notice what he says. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. He rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Notice verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. Why? Why did Herod become furious in this moment? Because he had zero intention of following the example of the wise men and worshiping Jesus had zero intention to do that. He was mad because now he doesn't know where Jesus is. He doesn't know the home that Jesus is staying in. He doesn't know where to go to search out and to destroy this child. He is absolutely furious. You see, the reality is Herod had already rejected Jesus as king. Herod had already rejected Jesus as king. And you may be here this morning, and that's where you sit today. You've not fallen on your knees and worship and received Jesus as King. For you this morning, you are sitting in a spot where you have rejected, up until this point, Jesus as King. I want you to notice what Herod does after in his heart already rejecting Jesus as king, says he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod, in his heart, had rejected Jesus as king And he utilized every resource at his disposal, unlike the wise men who sought to further Jesus' kingdom, he used every asset that he had to hinder Jesus' kingdom. In fact, it says that he committed infanticide. Think about that. He went into this area of Bethlehem and in the surrounding regions around and every male child that was two years old or younger, he had them murdered. All in an effort not to submit to Jesus as king. You look and you say, pastor, Are you telling me that if I'm sitting in a spot right now of having rejected Jesus as king, never submitting to him and receiving salvation that he offers to me, are you saying that that's where I'm sitting? That's exactly where you're sitting. You say, man, that seems harsh. I'm not murdering babies. I'm not carrying it out as far as Herod did. But here's the reality. In your heart, you are doing the exact same thing. You have set yourself up as king of your life and you are utilizing every resource at your disposal to maintain yourself as king of your life. And I want you to notice that that is a dangerous place to be this morning. Why is it a dangerous place to be? Because Jesus Christ is, is king, whether you want him to be or not. He may not yet be king of your life, but he is the king of the universe. One of the great pictures that we see Paul paint for us is that in the end, we have assurance that Jesus Christ will rule and will reign from now for all eternity. And Paul says this, every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is king to the glory of God the Father. At this point in time, the reality for every single one of us is that we have either declared that already in our lives or we've not. We've either submitted to Jesus as king or we've not. And I want you to know this morning that one day every single person, even against their will, will bow the knee and worship Jesus as king. Christian, I want you to know this morning, follower of Jesus, this is our great hope. Our great hope in this Christmas season, yes, is Jesus born in a manger in Bethlehem, but it extends far beyond just this moment because that baby born in Bethlehem grew up and lived a sinless and perfect life. And He took your sin and my sin upon Himself on the cross, and He paid the debt of sin that we owed. And He offers to us through His death and through His resurrection salvation in Him, extending to us the greatest gift that has ever been given, salvation through His name. And beginning when Jesus Christ broke onto this planet and revolutionized our world, he set up his kingdom that he has promised he will return and rule and reign for all eternity. You and I, if we're followers of Jesus this morning, the great news of Christmas is that Jesus came. But the even better news is he's coming back. And we'll have the privilege of reigning and ruling with him if we are in Christ. And if you are not yet, the scripture tells us that you will be separated from him for all eternity. I can assure you this morning, the greatest gift you could receive today, if you've not yet received salvation through Jesus Christ, is that precious gift. If you have received that gift, the greatest opportunity you have today is leveraging, utilizing everything that you have to further Jesus' kingdom so that more people have the opportunity to experience what you have experienced through him. I want to ask you if you bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes, give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord today and His Word. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not yet taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have the opportunity this morning right now to receive the greatest gift that could ever be received. And I can think of no greater time to receive that gift than now. During this Christmas season, as we celebrate Jesus There's no greater gift than having Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you need to take that step this morning. We would love to help you. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you want to fill out a connection card in the seat back and drop that off at the welcome table as you leave. We'd love to touch base with you over the course of this next week and help you take that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, and you've been reminded of how precious it is that you've received the gift of salvation and the great privilege and opportunity you have to daily worship Jesus as King and utilize, leverage all that you have and all that you are to further His kingdom on this earth. Father, we ask this morning that you would work in our hearts and in our lives today. That you would help us see the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. That we would fall on our knees and worship. And that we would utilize everything that we have to further his kingdom and his name and his fame on this earth. Father, if there's one here that doesn't yet know Jesus as their Savior... Would you give them the courage now to respond and receive the gift of salvation? Simply admitting that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believing that Jesus Christ has done what they could not do makes it possible for them to be forgiven of their sins. And that they confess this morning with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, He is King. He is their Savior. God, work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you if you would stand and sing this morning. If you need to pray with one of our pastors, we'll be down front. You respond as the Lord leads.